0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Podcast. We're excited to share this weekend's conversation. If you would like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to fbcsweetwater.org. I love Advent, but I need a little more time to get set up up here so the videos are a little bit longer. Thank you so much uh, for all who have served today, all who have led. Jenny, thank you for bringing the pops here today. Molly, thanks for being the, where'd she go? She's she's gone. She has a sick family today, y'all. She's the Brock family today, and all her family is sick, but she said, I'll be there to light the candle. And so I greatly appreciate that, because that's one of those heart-taking things, when all of a sudden you show up and someone's like, oh, I can't be there, and you're like, well, it's Sunday. So I do appreciate everyone who's participated in the service today. 2020 was a difficult year, no matter what perspective you were looking at it from. It was especially difficult on those who were already in financial difficulties and it just so happened that it caused people to flood to the food banks to go and get help anywhere they could so that they could feed their families and in eastern tennessee a boy named william kinnibus i gotta say that right kinnibus saw an uh, saw a video or a news report about their local food bank struggling to keep up with the demand to be be able to feed all those who are in need. And at 14 years old, he decided, I want to do something. I want to help feed others who are in need. And so he began to wait and listen and to think and try and figure out what he could do. Sure, he could go buy some food and take it and donate it. But he wanted to do something bigger. He wanted to do something more consistent. And it happened to come to his mind while he was baking brownies. He loves to cook. He loved to bake brownies. And like every good cook, he had his own special recipe where he added just a little bit of vanilla to the recipe because vanilla makes everything better. And he thought, (laughs) that's the amen I get. Man, wasted it early. Vanilla makes everything better. And he decided that he wanted to learn how vanilla was made. And so he went to the Internet. He began to research. And he found out it's a pretty simple and easy process. But if you want to make really good vanilla, then you use these special premium vanilla beans from Madagascar. So he ordered the beans. He began making his own vanilla, and he began bottling the vanilla, and he founded the company Vanilla Feeds Tomorrow. All of the profits from his company that he formed as a 14-year-old boy went to his local food bank to help feed... Families. This little bottle right here says this bottle provides 42 meals for families in eastern Tennessee. Over the years, just since 2020 when he started, that it's been founded, they've, uh, gained, they've given $200,000 to the food bank and fed 600,000 people. Because a kid saw a need, and he said, I want to help meet that need. And I'm going to find out what I can do. And it's something that he was already doing, something he was already using. And I think that's the story of Advent. I think that's the story of Advent for us that gives us hope that God uses ordinary people in their ordinary everyday lives to do extraordinary things and impact the world in extraordinary ways. In your Bible, you might have a page that divides the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mine doesn't actually have it, but some have just a blank page that divides the Old and the New Testament. For us, that's one little piece of paper. But in the story of Israel, that's 400 years. 400 years of silence. No prophets. No priests speaking for God. No Moseses or Elijahs. No judges speaking to the people. After the last prophet's words are recorded, God goes silent for 400 years. Think about your own prayer life. Those moments when you really feel God moving, you feel God speaking to your heart, and you know clearly, this is where God is leaving me, leading me. But then there's those other moments where you pray and you go, where is God? Why don't I hear him? Now imagine that on a grander scale. A scale of generations. A scale where you go to God, or you go to the temple, or wherever it is, and there's just nothing happening. That's what happens in that in-between time from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Just silence. Until an ordinary person comes on the scene with a very ordinary wife. We're going to be in Luke and Mark today. Typically, we use Matthew and Luke when we look at the Christmas narratives. Matthew's a little bit shorter than Luke. Luke's 132 verses over two chapters. But we like to jump to Ma- uh, Luke chapter 2. And there came a time where Quirinia, excuse me, where the Caesar Augustus decided to have a census. And we jump to that, and we want to see that story played out because it's real nice and succinct, and it's cute the baby is born. But it begins in Luke chapter 1 with a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest, which seems like that wouldn't be an ordinary person, but he's one of 18,000 priests, more than the population of Sweetwater, Texas. And as a priest, he agreed and he would serve twice a year for a week at a time in the temple when it was his turn to come up there. He would see to the everyday maintenance, the everyday movement of worship in the temple. That was part of his job. And every day there was a time where all the priests who were on duty would gather, and the lot would be cast, and whoever it fell on would get to enter the Holy of Holies, the place in the temple where sat the altar of incense. And they would offer the offering of the prayers of the people up to God. There's a picture of where it is in the temple. And if you got picked, if you were the priest who got picked to do it that day, you only got to do it one time in your entire life. So it was a holy and a special moment for you as a priest. And it just so happens that in Luke, the lot falls to Zechariah. He's something he's been seeing others do for years, and now he gets to do that. And as he enters into the Holy of Holies, a place where nobody else is allowed because it's seen as a place where God's presence is, he walks to the altar to burn the incense, and there's a man standing there. Gabriel, an angel. His name means God is my hero. And needless to say, when you walk into a room where no one is supposed to be, and then all of a sudden someone's there, you get scared, and so did Zechariah. And the angel says a very common theme in the gospel says, don't be afraid, I'm bringing you good news. The good news is that your wife Elizabeth will have a child. And Zechariah looks at him, maybe his heart leaps a little bit, but he says, how's this going to happen? My wife is barren, and we're old. How can we have a kid? And Gabriel looks at him, and and I'm paraphrasing for Gabriel. I'm sure this isn't exactly how it went down. But he looks at him and says, you didn't believe. You didn't believe when someone appears in the midst of the Holy of Holies that this is the work of God. And since you have this doubt in your faith as a priest for God, silence. You are not going to speak again until God allows you to speak. And Zechariah leaves the Holy of Holies, goes out to where the people are waiting, and apparently he'd been there long enough that they're getting a little worried that something might have happened. Maybe he had been struck dead in the presence of God. Maybe something had happened, but he's been there too long. And he walks out, and they say, what happened? What went on? What?" And he can't talk. And they know that he's had a vision. They know that something impactful has happened, and he makes his way home. And Elizabeth, his old barren wife, conceives and finds out she's pregnant. And she celebrates in her faith. She doesn't think, oh, I'm old. Oh, this could be bad. She celebrates, said, God has blessed me. And she finds out from her husband, the one who can't speak that they are, to call him John. We know him as John the Baptizer. Scripture calls, or our versions call it John the Baptist, but more, better representation, John the Baptizer. And that is what his name is to be. And so they go through the pregnancy, they go through the time where they're supposed to have a child, and they have the child, and they take the baby to the temple to dedicate the baby. And they say, what is the name going to be? They look at Elizabeth. And Elizabeth said, his name is to be John. And all of a sudden, the people who are in charge go, oh, you're mistaken. They look at her and they say, don't you want to call him Zechariah? Because that's in your family lineage. You don't have a John in there. So call him Zechariah because, you know, nine months he's had to be silent. There's some disability. Something's happened. Let's honor him this way. And she says, his name is to be John. They can't take it, though. They go to Zechariah, the one who still can't speak, and they say, don't you want to name the baby after you? And he signals that he wants a tablet, something to write on, probably a piece of wood with wax on it. And he writes in the wax, his name is John. And it says that as he turns that over, his mouth is opened by God, and he's able to praise God and to celebrate and sing this, this song to God. From that one moment, that act of faithfulness, just in naming the child what God has told him to name the child. And the people who are watching, the people who hear his voice again for the first time, they look and they say, what is this child going to be? And we turn to Mark chapter 1, where he tells us about this child and what this child is going to be. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 um, through 8 is where we're going to be. Verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Most likely, this is just the title that Mark had written down for the gospel. So this is the title in verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Mark begins his scripture, begins his gospel by quoting their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. By quoting Isaiah and Malachi. And merging two prophecies together and saying, this is what's coming. This is the fulfillment. The passage in Isaiah that he uses, Isaiah 40 verse 3. And it's talking about a new exodus. Exodus. And if there's a new exodus, it means there was an old exodus. A story of God's faithfulness to bring his people out of Egypt, to save them from their oppressors, to lead them by pillar of fire and pillar of smoke in the wilderness, and to say, you're my people, and I love you, and I care about you, and I'm going to do great things through you. And then he takes Malachi, and he brings in part of his prophecy. So together you have the Torah, the Exodus event, pointing to the truth of what Mark's about to say. You have Isaiah, one of the major prophets, just means that he wrote a lot. Not that he's better than the others, but he wrote a lot. And then you have Malachi, a minor prophet, one who wrote less. All of them testifying to what Mark's about to say, saying, This is true, and this is important. Even in the birth of John. In the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, you have pictures of the Old Testament. If we're listening with Jewish ears, we hear the story of a barren wife, of an older couple. And we think back to Abraham and Sarah. The first covenant. The one where God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. When you look up at the stars, that's how many your descendants will be. And then when we move forward, we see that God is bringing to fulfillment all these promises that he has made. Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's in the wilderness calling Israel to repentance, saying, come out to the wilderness and repent, turn and go the right way, literally. Move in the direction that God wants you to move. Israel would not have seen that they needed a baptism experience. That was reserved for Gentiles who were converting. That was reserved for people who defiled themselves, and they needed that cleansing and purifying, but not for the whole of the community. But in John's preaching, he's saying all of Israel needs to repent because in some way they've all been defiled. And he calls them out to the wilderness, away from the temple, away from the proper seat of worship where they were supposed to be, into a place where God has done great and mighty things. A call back to their past. A call, And I don't know if it was the message as much as it was the guy that they were going out to see. It says that he was wearing clothing of camel's hair, that he's wearing a leather belt, that he was eating locusts, the bug, not a fruit of some kind, but the bug, and honey. And so maybe they heard that there's this guy out there, and there's something a little off about him. And so they go out there to see what's going on. If I were to tell you that there's someone walking around town in Sweetwater, and they've got a coonskin hat on, and they've got a musket rifle you'd probably start thinking about Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett. Or if I told you that they had this real tall stovetop hat, black stovetop hat, and a, and a black beard, you might think of Abraham Lincoln. Well, when they hear camel's hair, clothing, and they hear leather belts, they would have thought back to a story in Second Kings of Ahaziah. A king who had somehow fallen through some lattice work and hurt himself. And he sends his people to go inquire of Beelzebub, a false god, a deity of Ekron. And says, go find out if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. As they're heading over there to inquire of this false god, a guy comes out and meets them, wearing hairy clothing and a leather belt. And he says, you don't got to go inquire of a false god. I'll tell you what Yahweh says. Yahweh says the king's dying he's done, no more, just go tell him I said that. Okay. They go back and they tell the king, we didn't even have to go inquire because this guy met us halfway, said, you always said you're going to die. And the king looks at him and says, who said that? Well, he was wearing hairy clothing and a sash or a, a leather belt. And the king goes, Elijah, Elijah, I hate that guy. He's intervening again. He's causing me trouble again. But he knew just from the description of his clothing of who it was that was speaking. And now a man appears in the wilderness, preaching and proclaiming baptism of repentance, and he's wearing camel hair and a leather, leather belt. The prophets had said that Elijah would precede the Messiah. And now this is happening. So they go out to hear his message. And his message is pretty short, according to Mark. After me comes the one who's more powerful than I, the strap whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's two main parts to it. He said, There's another one who's coming after me, meaning I'm not the one. In fact, the next one's more powerful than I am. Well, if you know the story of John, you know he's not a very powerful guy. Like he's preaching in the desert, in the wilderness. And then he's caught by the king, Herod. He's put in a dungeon. And then because Herod makes a a dumb vow, he ends up being executed and his head cut off and handed on a platter as a gift. Happy Advent, right? And he hands that over there. He's not a very powerful guy. But he says, someone is coming after me that's more powerful than I am. The key is that he understands what true power is. Power doesn't come from muscles. Power doesn't come from the size of the sword you carry or the army that you lead. Power comes from proclaiming God's word in the world, being faithful to the one who has called you. And ultimately, when Jesus comes in, power is seen in love, in being a servant. And then he dies as a ransom for many. Already, power is being redefined in the scripture, in the story of Jesus coming to earth. And then he says, he won't baptize you just with water. Not saying that that's not important, because it is. It reflects the heart, or it reflects what's happened in your life. But he says, he'll baptize you with Holy Spirit. The fulfillment of the new covenant covenant in Jeremiah, saying that God will dwell within us, and that we will have access directly to God. We won't need priests anymore. I'm on the record as not liking movies. That should come as no surprise to anybody. Definitely not to Stacey. I don't like movies. That's one of the things where I just, I just don't want to watch a movie. Except at Christmas. I love Christmas movies. Not that Hallmark stuff. Real Christmas movies. movies the ones that show you what Christmas was really all about, the ones that bring those emotions inside of you and help you understand what, how we should live, you know, like It's a Wonderful Life, a Charlie Brown Christmas special. Um, Die Hard, just joking. I don't believe that's a Christmas <laughs> one. I don't believe that at all. But as I was watching yesterday, one of my new favorite movies, Christmas movies, the end of it, I, I heard the end of the story in a way I'd never heard it before. And it struck me, and maybe it's because I've been studying and looking at this passage and thinking about what I was going to say. It just struck me and resonated with me. And I want you to hear it for yourself real quick. So just for a second, watch this clip from um, this movie. Long enough. I think it's the story of Advent. That God looks down and says, 400 years, you've been alone. You've been alone long enough. Now it's time for God to intervene in the world in a new way. We call it the incarnation. God taking human form and coming down to earth to be with God's people and show them a new way to live. You've been alone long enough. That's a word, a phrase that probably echoes in our hearts even today in this moment. If you've never taken the opportunity to become a disciple of God, then I wonder if God's saying to you, you've been alone long enough, now is your opportunity to join the group, to join the body, to join the followers of God and become a disciple. Maybe you're someone who's been here for a while. Maybe you just came to First Baptist Church, and this is a place where you're kind of settling in, but you don't have any deep fellowship or deep connections with family members here in the church look around you. There's people who love you here, and God's saying, you've been alone long enough. Maybe you're someone who's been here for a long time. You've got great friends in this church. You've got connections of deep fellowship with other people. Maybe God's saying, look around you. There's people in here who need to know they've been alone long enough, and now it's your job to share that with them. Because I think Advent— is about God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So when you go out this week, when you go out today, be ordinary. Be who God has created you to be and live that out in your ordinary, everyday life. But lean into and listen for the moments when God is speaking to you, when you see God moving and working, and step into those moments realizing that God can use your ordinary to make extraordinary things happen.